Thank you, worship team and brass players. Wonderful to have you all kind of quarantined up there in the loft today, but sounded great. Thanks for making the trip out here. Thank you, Aaron. I think Aaron arranged some of that too. Didn't you add some brass parts there? That's, man, that's impressive. I didn't know you could do that. That's amazing. Well, welcome again to worship here at Woodmont. It's, it's so incredibly strange to be in an, an empty sanctuary on Easter Sunday. It's so odd that all these churches, as I drove in uh, on, in Green Hills, that are uh, completely devoid of cars and all the churches are empty this Easter Sunday, but so is the grave, and we are going to celebrate the truth of the resurrection today by looking at God's Word together. We've already had a powerful time of worship. I pray that you are able to encounter the living God in a very real way through worship and the Word today, Easter Sunday. This is uh, such an odd thing to be preaching to. There's like a handful of worship leaders and some family members here, but it's just pretty much an empty sanctuary. Aaron, I know this is not how you anticipated your first, where is he? I don't know where he is. How, you know, his first Easter, he probably saw our, our church being full. It's our highest attended service. He probably had big plans. and This is not what we had envisioned when he came on in January, but here we are uh, anyway. Uh, I really am grateful to the worship team today for, for leading us. It is a strange uh, time that we're in. Uh, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, wrote a a really insightful article in Time Magazine just a, a couple weeks ago. And in it, he said, there's a reason that we normally try to meet in the flesh for worship. He said, there's a reason why solitary confinement is such cruel punishment. There's a reason. Because God made us for, for social interaction. God made us to be together. I always say Christianity is a team sport. It can't be done alone, and yet we find ourselves in isolation this Easter. You know, I've talked with several of our, our people who are struggling. I know this is a difficult season for a lot of you. I, I talked to one of our singles here today about how um, just starving for a hug and how someone in her neighborhood uh, you know, said, I'm going to give you a hug. Is that okay? And she said, yes, I'll take a hug. I know some of us uh, with young children, we were talking to Logan about how hard it is to try to educate our children and follow all the tons of links that their teachers keep sending us, as well as feed them. I feel like we're constantly feeding our kids, as well as trying to maintain a marriage to someone who suddenly is in your space all the time, every day. Uh, it's, it's been a really difficult season. I know extroverts are really struggling with all this social distancing. Lil Cook says it's about to kill her. I, I heard, <coughs> excuse me, Dolly Parton uh, in her prayer, she said, if the virus don't kill us, the staying home will. As I mentioned before, whether you had planned on observing Lent this year or not, you all have given up something this year for this Lenten season. Maybe you've given up more than you anticipated. <coughs> excuse me. But N.T. Wright points out about this Lent season that this year Lent has no fixed Easter to look forward to. We can't tick off the days. There's a stillness, not of rest, but of poised, anxious sorrow. We're not quite sure when Lent is going to end this year. Maybe it'll end in three weeks. Maybe it'll end in six weeks. Maybe 
When I say six weeks more, some of you start to sweat at the idea of trying to maintain homeschool <laughs> for another six, six weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe uh, you start to, to panic when you think that six more weeks of working from home, of not going to the gym, of our, I talked to some of our senior adults who are in rehab centers uh, here in Nashville, and, and they're not allowed out of their rooms. They can't go to the dining hall even. Uh, maybe some of you are panicked about the length of your hair or the color of your hair right now. <clears throat> it's a season of strangeness. There is certainly a pervasive unease and a, a nervousness in our world and in our community. I went to the grocery store um, last week, and it was nerve-wracking. Everyone had masks on, and when you're in the aisle and you're trying to slide by somebody, you're trying to maintain six feet, that's impossible when you're past somebody in the aisle. It was so odd to wait in line for a, a cart that was wiped down uh, for our, our use. Just a very strange and uncertain time that we're in. And I'm not trying to, to, to panic you, but the predominant emotions that we sense in our community are fear and anxiety right now. There's so many questions we have. Will I get sick? <clears throat> Will someone I love get sick? Will I lose my job? Will things ever be the same? And the truth is we just don't know. And again, I'm not trying to, 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 to bring you down on this Easter Sunday, but I'm trying to name what we're all actually feeling right now. Thank you. Yeah, I'm struggling. Thanks. I was singing my heart out. That's what it was. I was singing loud back there. Thanks. So I name the reality of what we're feeling right now, this unease and this, this anxiousness and this uncertainty. And what's been fascinating to me as I've prepared this sermon is that's exactly the same kind of emotions and feelings that the disciples had on that first Easter. What we're experiencing right now, the, the anxiety, is exactly the kind of emotions that Jesus' followers were feeling on that Sunday morning many years ago. When we read the, the gospel accounts of the Easter story, it's clear that his disciples didn't understand that he was actually going to rise from the dead. All four gospels show that the resurrection is a great surprise to Jesus' followers. Instead, they had fled. They were, they were hiding in fear. They were sheltering in place, you could say. The man they had just put all their trust in, the man that they had left their families in order to follow, their jobs, their livelihood, that man had just been killed in the most public and humiliating kind of way to die. And they had lost not only their leader, but they've lost their Lord, the one they put their faith in to save them. Now what? They, they bailed. They fled. Everything that they had bet their lives on had been taken from them, so they just quit. The Bible tells us that it wasn't just Peter, but all of them. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus says that all of them will abandon him when the heat gets too hot. After the Passover meal, they, they go out to the, the Mount of Olives where Jesus tells them, you will all fall away from me because of me this night. Sure enough, after Judas gives Jesus a kiss and this massive force of Roman soldiers and Jewish authorities and temple police come up to arrest Jesus, and look at Matthew 26, 56. All the disciples left him 
and fled. And we know what happens next. Abandoned by those that were closest to him, Jesus went through a sham trial. He was mocked, he was beaten, and finally, he was nailed to a wooden beam. He was raised up on a hill called Golgotha to die an excruciating death. Nathan Burbank and I were talking about that word excruciating. It was a, a word invented to describe the pain of the cross. We know he died a surprisingly early death, maybe three to six hours, scholars think, on the cross. And then his body was taken down and handed over to a rich guy named Joseph of Arimathea who quickly buried him in a, a hillside tomb. We know that they buried him quickly because the sun was going down and the Sabbath was about to begin. And they roll a huge stone across the entrance to keep out the, the vandals or the scavengers. And when Jesus died, when his spirit was given up, when he actually died, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The sky went pitch black. There was an earthquake. Martin Luther, the 16th century monk, once wrote that this was God's dying, God's martyrdom, God's blood, and God's death. For God in his own nature cannot die, but now that God and man are united in one person, it's called God's death when the man dies, who is one substance or one person with God. The disciples had never been more afraid. God's death had occurred in front of them. They have never been more unsure of their next steps. That's how the first Easter story begins. The disciples awoke on that Sunday morning full of grief, full of anxiety, fear. That's the context for our passage today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, to stand in honor of God's word. And I'm not going to read it today, though. Uh, we have a special presentation of this text from our children. Uh, Rachel asked some of our children to prepare a dramatic representation of this text. So hear now the word of the Lord from Davy and Juliana. The Sabbath day was now over. It was done on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a powerful earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven. The angel went to the tomb. He rolled back the stone and sat on it. His body shone like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of them that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said he would. Come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly. Tell the disciples he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb. They were afraid but filled with joy. They ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me.
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, my amazing wife, my bride, is a, a six on the Enneagram. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's an ancient uh, personality typing system, and it's become very popular, uh, especially in the Nashville area, once again. And sixes are, are wonderful people. They're loyal, but the, the weakness of a six is that they tend towards anxiety. Their kind of default outlook is a worst case scenario kind of all the time. So a, a pandemic is, is not a great season for those who are type six on the Enneagram. I have a friend whose wife is also a six on the Enneagram and he was, he's an eight, he's not a six, but he was telling his wife about this fear that he was feeling that there's a kind of perpetual uh, uh, nervousness and, and fear that now he's, he's actually feeling. And his wife just looked at him and smiled and said, welcome to my world. This is how I live every day. One of the interesting things about fear is that it has no prejudice. You know, fear afflicts everyone regardless of their bank account or their zip code or their last name. Our church is in a, a very affluent area of Nashville in Green Hills, but I can guarantee you there's just as much fear in our community as there is in any other place in this city. It may be a different kind of fear, but I do know that fear and anxiety are rampant in our community as well as our city, and it's crippling for a lot of people. Into this time of fear, into this season of quarantine and anxiety, we hear the story of Easter hope. It's not just a story of hope. It's really the story of hope. All hope, all valid hope rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything else that we put our hope in will ultimately let us down and fail us. The Easter story is the basis for all true and good hope. So let's take a closer look at this amazing text together this morning as we talk about Easter hope. We see in, in verse 1 that the Easter story happens on a Sunday, the, the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath day. That's why this day would come to be known forever as the Lord's Day, a holy day for all who would believe in Christ. And it's really important to note that all four Gospels say that Women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. The first people to see the risen Christ were female. All the men had scattered, they'd, they'd run away, they were sheltering in place, but these women remained faithful. They were there at the burial, and now they're here at the resurrection. They come back after the Sabbath ends, they come back at dawn on Sunday to finish the embalming work. They bring spices, the other gospel writers tell us. And the writers of the Gospels gained no credibility by displaying these women and showing that these women were the first witnesses. Because back in these days, women's testimony in court in the ancient Near East was invalid no matter what because it came from a woman. Woman's witness wasn't valid at all. Why did these Gospel writers include this? Because our God doesn't work according to the ways of the world. He doesn't work according to the powers and the principalities of this world. It's important to note. It's shocking. It's scandalous that women are the first uh, ones to proclaim the message of 
Easter, that he is risen, but it's true. Then in verse two, we're invited to, to go look with these women who go and see this empty tomb. Look at all these verbs in these verses. I'm gonna show you on the screen here how many verbs have to do with seeing here. Behold, four times the word behold is, is in this text. It's not translated always as behold, but in Greek, it's there four times. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Keep going. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, there's that word again. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See I have told you over and over again this commandment to see. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. I think it's so fascinating that we're told to, to look and examine. An angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, we know the angels bring news, shows up with an earthquake. And I love how Davy and Juliana had the guards on their faces. They, they pass out or something, but the angel doesn't even acknowledge them. He's only there to give a message to these two faithful women. And he tells them a twofold command from God, fear not and go and tell. What are they supposed to tell? What they've seen. They're supposed to witness to what they've seen. The angel invites them to investigate for themselves the evidence, the truth of the resurrection, to walk themselves into the tomb and put the pieces together about what happened. Their fear was transformed by wonder and hope, but it's fascinating that it was still fear. Look at verse eight. Matthew tells us that they ran off to fulfill their mission with this strange mix of fear and joy. I love that. The, the angel said, fear not, but they just can't help it. It's part of their weakness and their human nature. There's still some fear. But notice that it doesn't say they were filled with great fear and some joy. They weren't filled with paralyzing fear and a little doubtful joy. No, they had great joy that compelled them forward in the face of fear. It's how I felt on my wedding day. It's how uh, I felt when Woodmont Baptist called me to be their senior pastor. It's how we, we feel when we bring a child home from the hospital. I can't imagine bringing twins home. The great joy and that fear as well. As they run off to preach the good news of the resurrection, in, in verse 9, Matthew hits us with another, behold, look at verse 9, behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. I love that Jesus' first words aren't, ta-da, or I told you so. You guys didn't listen. No, his first words are, hi there, greetings. I love that because it's so warm and familial. He knows them. Hi, how are you? He appears to these two women and gives them a word of greeting 
So now not only have they seen the empty tomb with their eyes, but now they have touched the God-man himself as they grab his feet and fall on their faces and worship. And Jesus doesn't say, this is great. Let's just hang out here together and worship. No, he gives them a mission. There's something waiting for them to do. He says in verse 10, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Fear not. Go and tell. It's the same message that the angel gave them, which makes sense because the angel is giving the word of God to them. Both the message and the mission are from God. Don't be afraid. Go and tell. You know, we find ourselves in this strange and anxious time, this still monotonous season. It's like Groundhog Day, I know. Um, And as N.T. Wright says, it's not a season of rest, really. It's a season of poised, anxious sorrow. And into this context, we hear the words of the resurrected Christ. Do not be afraid. Go and tell. Do not be afraid. Go and tell. It's the message and the mission of Easter. We're invited, along with the disciples, to, to come and see the risen Christ, to behold him, to fall at his feet in worship. And then we may go and tell what we've seen, what we've experienced for ourselves. Easter hope, true Christian hope, is the center of all that we believe and profess as Christians. That's why Easter is so important. My kids were arguing about whether Christmas or Easter was more important. I say Easter. Easter because it's the center of our hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says that if Christ hasn't been raised, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. Without Easter, we have no hope. You may say, well, okay, but I haven't seen Christ. I haven't experienced the empty tomb. I say, okay, I I haven't been to Israel. I haven't seen the tomb either. I've never seen Christ physically. I've had friends who've had visions of Christ. I've never had a vision of of Christ actually with my eyes. I have seen a lot though. I've seen a lot. I love the the song, I've Seen Too Much by Andrew Peterson. The singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson shares the story uh, behind that song. He says, in a conversation with a friend a few years ago about why I'm a Christian, my answer just boils down to I've seen too much. There are too many good and beautiful things. There are too many stories that cry out for things to be made right. Too many lives changed. Too much healing. Too many examples of humble sacrifice in the face of great evil for there to be no meaning, no bright love on the other side of the veil. That reasoning may fall flat to you, Peterson says, but it's enough for me. And Christianity makes the most sense, not just of the brokenness of the world, but also its beauty and and the inconsolable longing and profound wonder we all feel from time to time. The apostles were sent out into the world with a story to tell. And because they had seen the risen Christ up close, had eaten with him, 
touched his scars. They were willing to die for the truth of that story. Because if it's true, it changes everything. It's so good. I've seen too much. Have you? Have you seen lives changed? Have you experienced awe and wonder that you can't explain away, but you only can give thanks to the one who created it? Have you seen love change someone's life? Have you seen the brightness and the goodness and the courage in the face of evil that can only come from the Lord himself? I've seen too much. These women in the story have seen too much. They saw too much to deny the truth and the goodness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The physical risen Savior, the one whose feet they clutched as they worship and praise, that the risen Savior is the reason for our great joy that overcomes our fear. It's the reason that we can have great joy that compels us forward even in the face of the fear, the very real fear that we feel. Hear the words of Christ to you today. The message of Easter is fear not. Do not be afraid. Jesus says in, in John 16, that in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. The word for take heart means fear not, for I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the grave. He's overcome the world. Now we have a mission to go and tell. Let us take what we've seen to be true and good and tell a world that is desperate for good news. Let's take the truth of the resurrection into a world that is dark and hurting because the truth of the resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have defeated the power of sin and death and darkness forever. God, we thank you that you, by your grace and by your power, you didn't abandon us here to, to deal with death on our own, but you dealt with it for us. God, by raising Jesus Christ from the grave, you've given us hope that death is not the end. You've given us hope beyond this life. You've given us hope for a future of goodness and truth and reality. We know this world is waking up now. The gospel is going forth and sowing seeds and bringing new life. In this season, oh God, of quarantine, of anxiety, you give us signs of new life. We see it all around us. New babies being born, new buds on the trees, on the bushes. God, we thank you for resurrection life. Now help us to go and tell the message of Easter to a world that really needs to hear it. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today in worship. Wherever you are, if you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time, I invite you to call our church right now, 615-297-5303. Speak with someone about what you need to do with Jesus Christ right now and surrender everything to him. Shoot me an email. You can call the church anytime if you have any questions about the truth of Jesus Christ. 
because he does change everything. We're gonna sing a song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Even if you have a little fear, we invite you to sing this song with us today as a, a way of proclaiming the truth of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Whatever decision that it is that you need to make, don't wait until quarantine's over. Don't wait until you can meet back here. But go ahead and call now, email right now, and we'll get together and figure out how we can talk about the truth of the resurrection. Let's sing this song together, Because He Lives.